in the first century BC. That's BC means before Christ. So in that time period that we don't have in our Bibles, like in the New Testament, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that little time period, in the first century BC, Jerusalem and Israel, all of Israel was under a heavy drought. Such a bad drought, in fact, that it threatened to destroy an entire generation of Jews. We, we, were, we were real close to extinction. But there was one man who had the faith of Elijah, and his name is known today as Honi, H-O-N-I, Honi, Honi, the circle maker, because this is what Honi did. He walked out into the middle of Jerusalem, and he took his staff, and he stuck it in the sand, and then he turned around, all the way around, kept turning around, until he got to back to where he was, and he formed a circle around himself. Then he got down on his knees and in front of everyone in Jerusalem, he cried out in a loud voice, Sovereign Lord, I will not leave this circle until you make it rain. <laughs> That's a pretty bold prayer, isn't it? I mean, they're in a drought. If God doesn't make it rain, his knees are going to start to hurt. <laughs> My knees are already hurting. <laughs> <laughs> and right at that moment, it started to rain. <laughs> And everyone started to cheer, and everyone started to praise God. But Honey wasn't satisfied, and he said, Lord, not for this kind of rain have I prayed, but rain that would fill buckets, that would fill cisterns, that would fill caverns. And right when he said that, the rain started coming down so hard that literally we have records of this. The people had to flee to the temple to get to high ground because of flash floods. But Honey still wasn't satisfied. And he said, Lord, not for this kind of rain have I prayed, but for the sovereign, gracious, merciful rain of your Holy Spirit. And it began to just rain in perfect moderation until the land was filled. Now, interestingly, though, Sanhedrin, you know who the Sanhedrin is, right? Other people that didn't like Jesus. Well, they didn't like Honey. <laughs> and they excommunicated him from the church. But... To Honey's, you know, uh, advantage, you can't really deny a miracle like that. And so the people got him back in, and they actually lifted him up as a, kind of an award winner, if you will, to the man who prayed the prayer that saved an entire generation. What I want to say tonight is that I believe that prayer is powerful. Do you believe that? Mm -hmm. I believe that prayer could be so powerful that a single prayer could save an entire generation. Do you believe that? Or raise your hand if you believe that there's a generation living today that needs to be saved. <laughs> Amen. I want you to know that I believe in bold prayers. I believe that God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. God's going to answer a bold prayer, isn't he? God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. And so tonight... This last installment of our series on prayer, here's the big picture. I want to say, let's pray some big, audacious, bold prayers. The title of the sermon is Unlimited, which simply means we have unlimited potential, unlimited power backed behind our very prayers. And we might need to recharge ourselves to believe that. So tonight, I really want to focus on praying big, bold, audacious Prayers. You could say the subtitle of this message is Go Big or Go Home. <laughs> You've heard that before? I don't know who started that, but Go Big or Go Home. 
But before we, we get into Acts 10, I, I want to have a couple of just, I have three notes, things I need to say. The first thing is that a good part of the material that I'll be quoting tonight comes from this book that a friend of mine gave me, entitled The Circle Maker by Mark Patterson. Mark Patterson's a church planter, planted a church in Washington, D.C. It's called National Community Church, very large church right now. He wrote this book entitled The Circle Maker. I've already admitted this to you. I don't normally read books about prayer because <laughs> they just make me feel small. And um, I really like this book. So if tonight I say some things that charge you up, you might want to check out this book. The second note I need to make is important. And I just have to say this from the beginning. God is not a genie in a bottle. Did you know that? <laughs> and, and so we can't just ask God for things and expect him to give it to us. I mean, I've heard people say, well, I'm just trusting the Lord for a Mercedes Benz. You, you're, you've ever heard people say that? Oh, yeah, they do. And, and God's not... A genie in a bottle, we can't expect him to give us a Mercedes-Benz just because we have faith. And so this sermon is not going to be, you need to pray harder, you need to pray longer, you need to have more faith, and then you'll get it. <laughs> now that, you know, and I could spend a long time on that. I can share a bunch of scriptures, right? Jesus said, ask anything to be given in my name, but I can unpack that and tell you what it really means. But I don't want to spend time on the negative. I want to spend time on the positive and say, but we have power. Because here's what we do. As American evangelicals, as humans, I think, we swing like a pendulum on everything. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've been doing it my whole life. I'm good at it. So I just told you, um, God's not a genie in a bottle. And those people who pray for Mercedes Benzes, that a word? For Mercedes Benz, they're putting God in a box, and, and that's bad. So because we're good, conservative, non-charismatic, non-prosperity evangelicals, we believe that to be true. And so we swing way over here, right? And then we pray timid, Lord, if it's your will kind of prayers. Lord, if it's your will, do we have that house that we're trying to get? Lord, if it's your will, could I get this job? And they're timid. But really, if you think about it, they're just as manipulative. I'll explain to you what I mean. Because if God gives you that house, and then six months later you have to foreclose on it, whose fault is it? God's. Because <laughs> you said, God, if it's your will, give it to me. And he did. Now it's God's fault. Same thing with the job. With I've seen people do it with wives. <laughs> Lord, let me get married. It's the Lord's will to get married. It was God's will. No, it wasn't. You weren't listening. So what we do is we say, God doesn't. God isn't a genie in a bottle. We can't just ask for anything in his name and be given it. Um, so we swing over here, and then we're afraid to ask for anything. But I'm telling you tonight, and I'm learning myself, actually, because I'm usually over here. <laughs> What's the purpose of prayer, then? <laughs> the purpose of prayer is really to approach God the Almighty, and say, you're a big God, and I got a big request. Okay, so that's the second thing I want to say. The third thing I want to say is this. This is the last installment of our series on prayer, and the whole message is going to be about asking God for big, bold, audacious things. But need us, but we need to never forget that asking for things is only a quarter of prayer. We've covered this already. Prayer is adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, and then asking for things. Things. But since tonight we're focusing on asking for things, I want us to be reminded and not forget that that's only a quarter of prayer. Don't forget to adore God, confess to God, thanks God, more even than asking for things. But for tonight, because we're closing, I want to end with a powerful, let's pray for big, bold prayers. Amen? Do you have big, bold prayers? Do you have big dreams? Raise your hand if you fell in love with the dreamer. You know that song, don't fall in love with the dreamer. I love that song. Uh, actually, I don't even know any other words to that song. Uh, 
I believe that God gives us dreams. Did you ever think about that for a second? If you've got a big dream, maybe, just maybe, God gave you that dream, and we should, like, pray over that dream. And what Patterson says is in this book is we should draw circles around them, pray over and over and over again, and pray for that dream, because God gave us that. And Who knows? Maybe he'll answer it. So let's look at Acts chapter 10 as we gear up to pray big, bold prayers. And I got just the first verse on the screen just to help us out here in your Bible. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devoted man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius... And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them away to Joppa. Okay, so two things just jump off the page immediately for me as I read this. The first thing is, is this is an Italian centurion. So I'm just picturing a a mobster, (laughs) right? (laughs) He's from the Italian mafia. (laughs) I'm going to make him enough. He's, He's an Italian centurion. So this is not a little wimp. This is the big guy. He's in charge. He's a commanding officer over 100 soldiers. This is a powerful dude. He's got servants. He's got devoted soldier servants. You notice that in the story. So the first thing I notice is Cornelius is a pretty, pretty, pretty cool dude. But the second thing that jumps off the page for me is it says that he gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. That's good. That could preach. <laughs> you know, uh-oh. I could preach a sermon on that, right? But I don't have to because it's convicting enough right there. He gave alms generously. I don't know how much he gave. Generously. And he prayed continually. I don't know how much he prayed, but he prayed continually. And I don't know about you, but that's very convicting to me. Because I start to wonder, what's the next sentence after my introduction? (laughs) You know? Here's Cornelius, the Italian centurion. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed continually. Here's Mike Satterfield, a church planter. He likes baseball. You know what I mean? He he (laughs) eats a lot. You know what I mean? What are they going to say about me? What are they going to say about you? This man's praying continually for something, and then God shows up. It says he had a vision. Very clear. I don't know what that means. It doesn't say, right? Just had a vision, scared him to death. Never happened to me. But God has showed up, and he says, your alms that you've given to the poor have come up as a memorial to me in heaven, And your prayers that you've been doing continually have come up to a memorial to me in heaven, and I'm about to blow your socks off. That's not what he said in the Hebrew or the Greek. I'm making that up. But I know the rest of the story. He is about to use Cornelius to literally change the world. Literally, we're going to see this. He's going to change the world. Pretty cool. So I want us tonight to pray for some big, audacious prayers. 
And I want us to do it continually, which means a way of saying it is we're going to circle them and circle them and pray and pray and over and over and over again and continually until one day God comes around and just, you know, knocks you off your donkey and says, your prayers have finally reached me <laughs> and I'm going to knock your socks off. So what is it that you're dreaming about? What is it that you've got inside of you? If you'll notice, I've got on, the, on your table, everyone gets one of these tonight. Um, there's three circles on it. And, and I actually want, because we're closing our series on prayer, I actually want to pray tonight. <laughs> um, the first circle says personal revival. So I want you to be thinking about some of those big, hairy, audacious prayers that will change generations and will change the world. So where do we start? Where do we start to pray big, bold prayers? Well, I heard a story once about a pastor by the name of Gypsy Smith. His name's Gypsy. Do you know why? Because he was a gypsy. He lived in a tent, and he had no formal education, grew up in a very poor, you know, gypsy environment, and yet he ended up being invited by two American presidents to have dinner with, with them, and he spoke publicly in all the major, you know, Harvard and Cambridge and all that. He had no education, and he, he won thousands of people to Christ, thousands. He was an evangelist. One time these pastors, I can see this happening, these pastors go up to him and say, man, how do you do it? What's the secret sauce? You know what I mean? How do you grow your church? How do you, you know, tell me what you do. Give us the power. What do you got? And he says, tell us what we need to do so that we can be as effective as you. And he said this without hesitating. He said, go home, shut your door and lock your door. Get on the floor and take a white piece of chalk and draw a circle in the middle of your living room and then get inside of it and get on your knees and pray brokenly and fervently that God would start a revival in that circle. And he didn't hesitate because everyone knew that was his common practice. When he came into a new town to do an evangelist, you know, to be an evangelist in that town, he would draw a circle in the sand and he'd get in that circle and say, Lord, let there be a revival here this week and let that revival start in this circle. So another way of saying it would be like a good friend of mine said it, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make that change, Okay. <laughs> Na 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 na. Thank you. So here's what I want to do tonight. And um, we're going to just take about five minutes to pray. And what I'd like for you to do is literally write down in that circle things that will uh, that you need personally revived in your life. You need a revival in your life. Lord, revive my heart. Lord, revive my home. Lord, revive my family. Lord, um, revive, me, revive me as a disciple of Christ. Revive me as a follower of Christ. Uh, revive me as a father. Make me a better father. Make me a better mother. Make me a better coworker. Make me a better employer or employee. If we want to make the world a better place, it needs to start here. And, and raise your hand if you could use a personal revival. Okay, yeah, because we all can, right? So let's write down in there specifically, though. You're not going to have to share this out loud. And hopefully no one's going to be looking at your paper, but it's okay if they do because we're family. Um, just write down in there, Lord, I, this is where I need a revival. And then also go ahead, put your big, bold dreams. God, I want to plant a church. God, I want to I I move to the city. God, I want to I go to France. <laughs> Where's Emily? There she is. God, I want to go to France. I need, I need 60 more percent support. I, I want to build a coffee house. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that, you know. I want to I start a... 
a revolution. <laughs> Whatever it is, just write it in there. And then while Dan's playing, we're going to take about three to five minutes. And I would encourage you to pray as a circle. Like maybe pray for personal, just personal heart, spiritual. Father in heaven, you are such an amazing and an awesome and a loving father and a holy God that you have given us the greatest gift that we could ever even comprehend or imagine, that you've given your son to die on the cross that we would have not just everlasting life, but that we would be made pure, that we would be made holy, that when you look upon us, you see the righteousness of Christ, that we have been grafted into this righteous priesthood, that we are a priesthood of believers and children and followers of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. And so because of that, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is your highest ambition that there would be a revival started in our own hearts and in our own families and our own homes and in our own lives. I pray, Lord, that before there will ever be a revival, before there will ever be um, souls won for Jesus, people who are far from God brought near, it must start with us. It must start in our hearts that we would long for you, that we would desperately depend upon you, that we would seek after Jesus, that we would love him like we love, well, so many other things. So I beg of you, Lord, that you would you would move in this place in every single one of these tables and in my heart, Father, that we would begin to live lives of, of passion, that you would set us aflame, that we might just be in love with your son and with your holy name. All right, we're going to look at Acts 10. We're going to keep going. Um, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, okay, so new character, new person, different place, different time, went up on his housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And as he became hungry, I know how he feels, he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing his food, he fell into a trance. Weird stuff happens in the Bible, doesn't it? I mean, that's never happened to me. I mean, I've been hungry, but gee, Peter... I mean, and, and it gets worse. I mean, he's hungry, right? He's in a trance. Let's listen to what happens in his trance. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in that sheet were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he's hungry, right? So maybe he should do that. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. <laughs> Have you ever done that? As God said, hey, Got something for you to do, go do this. And you're like, by no means, Lord, forget about it. <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying there. And the voice came a second time. What? Oh, wait, let me finish what he said. Um, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Because all those animals are Gentile animals. They're, not, they're unclean for the Jewish people to eat. And he says, I've never eaten an unclean animal. He's a, he's a devout Jew. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten an unclean animal. And the voice came a second time. What God has made clean, do not call unclean or do not call common. And this happened how many times? <laughs> Three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that had just happened meant, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision... The spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. 
And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one that you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so he invited them into their homes to be their guests. Uh, interesting story, isn't it? So we got two men praying pretty fervently. One's praying over here, sees a vision. Peter's praying over here in a trance-like state, hungry. And God says, eat unclean animals. And then Peter's like, what is going on? And then knock, knock, knock. There's three men. You need to go with them. Okay, so he goes with them. What does this mean? Well, I'm just going to tell you what it means if I could oversimplify it. God wants Peter to disciple Cornelius. Cornelius, if I can oversimplify it. Cornelius is not a Christian. He's a He's an Italian centurion. He's a Greek. But he's somehow been converted to Judaism. He's a worshiper of the God of the Jews, of Yahweh. And that's why he gives alms, and that's why he's praying fervently. But he's not yet met Jesus. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. And so God says to to Cornelius, I got a plan for you. I'm going to knock your socks off. I want you to go get this guy named Peter. (laughs) At the same time, Peter's having a dream about unclean animals. And he says, I want you to go see Cornelius. And what Peter doesn't know yet, and what Cornelius doesn't know yet, is that God has chosen Peter, the devout prayer, to disciple Cornelius, the devout prayer. What, a, what an honor, you know? Like, what if God asked you to disciple Cornelius? I mean, he's a big dude, and he's a devout man. He's giving of his tithes and his offerings. He's giving alms to the poor, and he's praying continually. I mean, does he even need a disciple? Yeah, he does. So if I could just real quickly get to the next thing. The next thing is, is that this is the way the church grew. Did you know that? The church grew through what's called discipleship. <laughs> Believe it or not. One, and here's what happens. One man disciples another pan, man about, I almost said pan. One man disciples another man to Jesus. Then that man in turn goes disciples another man to Jesus. And then you've got multiplication and two becomes four and four becomes a hundred. Just like that. Not literally, but just like that kind of. And it still goes on and on today, kind of, really. Discipleship is kind of the lost art in America because we've professionalized everything. Did you know that? See, right now we don't have discipleship anymore. We just have professional ministry. We have these professional ministers, like myself. (laughs) Now you laugh. Professional pastors. And what ends up happening is the congregation says, well, it's the pastor's job to evangelize. It's the pastor's job to disciple. It's the elder's job to disciple. And we're not having discipleship. And you know what's happening to the church? We're declining. 80% of our country does have no church background. They don't go to, 80% of St. Louis will not be in church this weekend. Will not be. In, that's a lot. Why? Because we stopped discipling. We left it up to the professionals. In fact, John Piper, one of my favorite artists, just wrote a book entitled Brother, We Are Not, Big Letters, Professionals. And he's giving that book away for free. I haven't read it yet because i got too many other books to read, but I will. And what I think he's saying in that book is we're not professionals. We're a priesthood of believers, all of us in this room who know Jesus. We need to be discipling others who who need Jesus. So you need to be discipling people too. And so the next circle, I'm sure you've looked ahead and already seen what it says, says personal disciples. Let me give you a definition of discipleship, just my definition. Um, What is discipleship? It is doing life together so that you can speak into and influence others to love Jesus and engage in the mission of God. 
Please don't see discipleship as a top-down program where you sit with a younger person who you're bigger and smarter than, and you go through a book, and then when it's over, you're done. Okay, that's not discipleship. That's, again, professional thing, right? Discipleship is just two people rubbing each other and rubbing off on each other. What about Peter? Is Peter bigger and better than Cornelius? I doubt that. I imagine Peter's going to be intimidated by Cornelius. I would be. He's an Italian mobster, you know? Peter's had some run-ins with Italian mobsters before, I'm sure. So he, come on, he's an Italian general. There's no way Peter's going to be like, okay, let me just <clears throat> teach you a few things, little man. You think that's what Peter's going to do? No, they're, they're equals and they're coming together and they're rubbing off on one another. So this is what discipleship looks like. Right now in your brain, you can probably think of a few people in your life, maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in this room. You can say, it's not that I know so much more than her, or it's not that I'm so much holier than him, but we have things in common, and I have a heart for him, or I, I, I have compassion for her. Maybe his personality is a lot like my personality, and I think I might be able to help him you know, kind of navigate the hard parts of that personality. <laughs> Maybe there's someone in your neighborhood who's not a believer at all, and you can just say, I just want to hang out with that person. I want to do wings. I want to do golf. I want to do movies. I want to do baseball games. And eventually, you'll start to rub off on them, and they'll say, you know what? You handle things better than I do when, when, you know, when the, when the, you know, whatever I'm trying to say next, when bad things come. <laughs> Be careful what you say, Pastor Mike. Um, <laughs> maybe someone who's a Christian already, but they're just maybe in a different place, and you think that the two of you can benefit from one another. That's what discipleship is. It's not the professional guy who's got somewhat of a seminary degree who can then walk you through Romans. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is life on life, rubbing on each other and, and sharpening one another. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of 100 people to put in that circle that you're going to disciple. Hey, we're talking big, bold, audacious prayers here tonight. Okay, all right, I'll back off. How about three, okay? Three, just take three people. Come on, you can do that. I know, we're, we're, Christians are wimps, you know what I mean? 100, oh my goodness, come on. This, this is life and death, heaven or hell, right? Okay, if you got 100, do it. But, but you, what you have to do before you leave is three. Okay, I, I'm no one, I can't tell you what you have to do, but I'm just, I'm just pretending, okay? <laughs> Pretend like I'm Cornelius. <laughs> what you have to do is put three people on there. Think of someone at your work who you like and you want to rub off on them. And maybe they'll rub off on you a little bit and that's okay. Maybe think of someone who, I've got, I've got three people on my list who this is what they tell me. They're Christians and they go to church. I was hanging out with one the other day. When was the last time you went to church? He goes to this particular church down the road. Everyone goes to that church. Um, when was the last time you went? It's probably been about three months. Okay, but well then, you, you don't go to church. You know what I mean? You go every three months. I mean, you, why, how could you call that your church if you only go every three months? So, I didn't say that, <laughs> okay, I didn't say that, but I'm thinking it, and I'm thinking, maybe this guy needs someone to rub off on him. Maybe he needs to see what benefit there is in being in a community and being in relationship with other godly people, if I'm a godly person sometimes. So, I've got three people on my list who fit into that category, meaning they're Christians, but I'm not quite really sure if they really even know what that means. I've also got three people, or probably more than three people in my circle who are just right here in this room. People who I love, people who I spend time with. I don't see myself as better than you. I just see myself as you're my responsibility because I call myself your pastor. And sometimes you call me your pastor. And so I see myself as someone who I go hang out, have coffee, eat chips. It's not rocket science, is it? 
It's not. It's just do life with people and stop expecting professionals to do it. So think of three people and write it down. And why are you writing it down? Because you're going to circle them in prayer for the rest of your life. I mean that forever until they don't need you anymore and you feel like they don't need you anymore. Then you might take them out of that circle and put someone else in that circle, but you know what? They'll call you in 10 years. It happens to me all the time. I've been a youth pastor for 20 years. I get calls all the time from kids. Can you help me with this? You'll never stop circling them in prayer. We need to. While you're thinking of those three people, I want to tell you another amazing story. A story I heard once about a pastor named Duncan Campbell, Scottish Presbyterian evangelist in the 1800s. He lived in Scotland. He evangelized all of Scotland, mostly Edinburgh, and he did it on a motorcycle. My kind of guy, you know? Amen? I'm thinking about getting a motorcycle. I'm just thinking I just, maybe that will help me convert people. I don't know. <laughs> he, he cruises around all in Scotland on this motorcycle for 25 years evangelizing and discipling people for 25 years. One day he gets an invitation to preach at a conference in Ireland. So he goes to Ireland and he's preaching at this conference and he's praying one night and the Lord impresses, this is what he says, the Lord impresses upon his heart that he needs to skip out on the last night of the conference. Doesn't sound like a very Christian thing to do. And get on a boat and go to an island off of the coast of Ireland. And so he does. He skips out on his last night gig, gets in a boat, goes to, the, goes to this island in Ireland. <laughs> and as soon as he gets off this boat, there's this little man standing there and he says, are you, are you Duncan Campbell? He says, yes, I am. I was waiting for you because I've been praying for months for Duncan Campbell to come to this island. And I knew that you were coming tonight, which is why there's a church full of people waiting for you right now. He had already advertised to the whole island that Duncan Campbell was coming tonight. And they're all in the church waiting for him. And Duncan says, okay, let's go. And he preached and a revival started across that island that night. And he stood there for a long time. And he was in that island for a long time discipling those people. Isn't that just amazing? And it happened because this little man was praying for Duncan Campbell, and then Duncan Campbell was praying before he went to bed that night. Do you believe in the power of prayer? I do. I'm starting to believe in the power of prayer. And so pray for some personal disciples. This little guy was saying, I need a discipler. I need someone to come into my life. Maybe that should go in your circle too. If you need a discipler, Put your name in there. <laughs> I need one. But that doesn't count as one of the three, okay? That's just the four. That's four. All right, so list three people and start circling them for the rest of their life. Hey, um, just because I want some feedback, can you do that? Can you put three people on the list? Can we, amen or heck no? Okay. What would happen? I'm counting about 25 people in the room times three. Is a million. You know what I mean? It's a million people by the time multiplication takes, takes, takes effect. I mean, we will change the world, change a generation. Okay, so we, we've had a personal revival. Now you're going to just have a personal disciples. We've already changed the world. Let's move on to the last part of the story. Um, so I like this part. I put the last verse on there, so uh, let me just read it. Um, so Peter went, I'm just going to paraphrase. So Peter goes to um, Cornelius' house, and he walks into Cornelius' house, and he's like, what's up? Why am I here? And Cornelius says, well, I don't know why you're here. All I know is I was praying and God told me to come go get you. And Peter says, well, I know I was praying and God told me to come. He's like, well, listen, you should start. <laughs> so Peter, in the verse says, opened his mouth. I love that the Bible says that. He didn't need to say that. You know what I mean? Of course he opened his mouth if he was going to talk. But here's, what I think it, here's why I think it says it. Because it could have just ended there. And Peter 
opened his mouth. And the rest is history. And do you know the history? He shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with Cornelius. He told him the history of Jesus. Jesus came, he's the son of God. He did miracles. He was crucified by the Sanhedrin. He, 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 uh, he was crucified and dead on the third day. He arose from the dead and he conquered our sin and no one can have life except in Jesus Christ. And Cornelius said, hallelujah, or something like that. And he believed in Jesus. And Peter baptized him right there and Cornelius' whole family. And if you're picking up what I'm throwing down, you might have recognized that he's a centurion over 100 soldiers. He's got some servants in his house, some devote soldiers that he sent to Joppa. I'm sure they got converted too. And so you see how the discipleship process happens. Peter discipled Cornelius. It only took a few hours for Cornelius to start discipling his whole household. We've got a revival happening in the middle of that circle. Isn't that amazing? So last thing I want to pray about is some big, audacious prayers. I want to pray for Monsieur Day Church. Because here's what I believe. Cornelius is known today as the first Gentile convert. Did you know that? In other words, when Peter stepped into Cornelius' house and preached to him, that was the gateway arch, if you will, to all of us. Unless you're a Jew. Is anyone in here a Jew? No, see, so we are from the lineage, from the, the, the disciple process of Cornelius getting saved. That's why I told you earlier, when God decided to bless Cornelius for his prayers and his almsgiving, God says, I'm going to choose you out of anyone that I could choose to let the beginning of a movement start for the Gentiles. And it's also the moment that Peter said, oh, yeah, Gentiles, the door's open to the Gentiles. What if Cornelius hadn't been giving and hadn't been praying? God might have chosen someone else to let that be the door open, you know, to. And, 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 and this is where I'm starting to believe that's why prayer is important. Not because God needs me to pray, but he delights when I do. And he answers when I do. And I believe that. So tonight I want us to pray for some big, audacious things. Cornelius was praying bold. Peter was so bold that he fell into a trance. I want to pray big, audacious things things because this is what the church looks like. The church looks like people believing that God wants his church to grow, that God wants his church to thrive, and so they're asking God for big things and for big dreams, and God says, well, yeah, I'm going to answer those big things to you since you're asking for them, and then he gives them to them, and there's awakenings, and there's revivals, and there's amazing things happening. I'll tell you, our, our, our mission, or a vision, I should say, at Missio Dei is seek, send, repeat. We wrote that because we want there to be urgencies. Seek people. Hurry up and send them because we don't have time. We got to seek, send, repeat, keep going. Of course, there's training involved, but that's part of discipleship. But we got to get there. We got to get there. We got a generation that needs saving. And so I want us to pray for Missio Dei Church. I want us to pray for the, the mission and the vision that we have, which is to seek, send, repeat, and to build community and influence a culture. Uh, so pray for some big audacious things for Missio Day in St. Louis. Before we pray for that stuff, I got one more bold story. Can I just, because I've got some good stories here. This story is by a, a man named George Mueller. Raise your hand if you heard of George Mueller. Famous, famous preacher, evangelist in Britain. He's primarily famous because he built five orphanages in Britain that by the time he died, cared for and fed over 100,000 orphans. That's a miracle in itself, but here's the real miracle. 
he was kind of a maverick of his day. He was sort of living on the edge. He had some eccentric ideas. In fact, one biographer said he was eccentric because he devised large and liberal things for the Lord's cause. Meaning he didn't pray little prayers, he prayed big prayers. He prayed, I'm going to draw a circle and I'm not going to get out (laughs) to answer my prayer. But he also had some interesting views. And one of his views is he didn't believe in debt. So he would never take out a loan, never. He also believed he should never ask anyone for money. Now I can appreciate that actually because I hate doing that as a missionary myself. So he never asked anyone for money. He also believed he should not take a salary. Okay, well, let me back up real quick. How do you build five orphanages if you don't take a salary, if you don't take a loan and you don't ask for money? He did it. He believed all I had to do is pray to God and ask God to impress it on random people's hearts to give. And he raised, or as as a biographer say, prayed millions of dollars into his ministry. Never asked for a penny. In fact, if you read his biography, there's so many amazing stories about his prayer life. I'll give you an example. One day in orphanage number three, he's sitting there and it's time for dinner and there's no food. And so he gathers the kids at the table and he says, let us pray for the food. But there's no food. (laughs) And he says his prayer, almighty God, thank you for this bountiful meal. Amen. And when he says amen, you know what happened? Knock at the door, opens it up. There's a baker. I got all this leftover bread, thought you might need some. Yeah, we do. Guess how much it was? Sufficient amount for the kids, but it doesn't stop there. As soon as the baker left, the door knocked again and it was a milkman. And he says, listen, they didn't have telephones back then. So he says, listen, my milk truck just broke down out in the middle, well, right in front of your orphanage. And if I don't get rid of this milk, it's going to spoil. I was wondering if you need some. (laughs) So that night they had bread and milk just because he prayed first. And then God came and brought it in. Pretty cool, huh? I could tell you more stories from George Mueller, but let me just tell you one from me. I'm learning this in my life. I'm young. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really young at this trusting God thing, to be honest, in prayer especially. Because I'm a thinker and I think, why should I pray? You know, God's in control. God's going to do what he wants. When I left my job as a youth pastor with a salary, meager as it was, and insurance, which that was the hardest thing to leave, to be honest, I had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea you were going to plant a church. I was only walking out in faith because I felt the Lord say, you know, you got to plant a church. But you got to bet your bottom dollar that my wife and I didn't sleep for six months. <laughs> Stressed, worried. We have three kids, so we had two at the time. What are we going to do with no insurance, blah, blah, blah. Here's what's interesting. You know, I had announced to the church I was at that I'm leaving in May. And that was a year in advance. So for a whole year, we're stressing and worrying and sending out support letters and we're getting nothing. My last day there, I think, was June 1st, May 1st. I got a call. I got letters in the mail. I got checks in the mail. It's just like, is that that God says, you stepped out in faith. I'm coming in behind and I'm going to support. One church, first free evangelical church, called me. Alex, I think you were in a car with me when it happened. Called me and said, we've chosen. We're going to support you. God, you do want us to do this. You do believe in this. Thank you. And my wife continues to remind me that I think the way God works is we step out in faith first. He comes in after with a gift. We can't say, okay, well, you, you give it to me, then I'll, then I'll go. So one last story. Mark Batterson in his book, he's a church planter. 
And I love this story because it's so much like us right now. He says, we've got 20 people in our church. <laughs> and I lead worship. You know, he's like, I'm the preacher and the worship leader. I'm so glad you're here, Dan. <laughs> they are too. <laughs> and he's like, but I'm not a very good singer and I'm a horrible, I can't keep the rhythm. You know what I mean? I'm all over the place. So we needed a drummer. So we're praying for months for a drummer. God, it's spelled D-R-U-M-M-E-R. We need a drummer. Where is the drummer? And it doesn't come. He says, God said, go buy a drum. And I said, give me a drummer, <laughs> you know, first, and then I'll buy a drum. So he says, I go to the wanted ads and I get a drum for sale for $200. Guess how much money they had in the bank? $200. And so he said, I just don't feel like it's a good stewardship for me to take the only $200 we have and buy a drum for a drummer we don't have. But he said, I felt like it had to be done. So I did it, got the drum. Next Sunday morning, this guy comes in with a buzz cut. This is the part of the story that stood out the most for me. He says, and I feel sorry for people who visit churches with only 20 people. Because when they walk in the door, everyone's like, hey! And they just kind of attack them. He said, we haven't had a visitor in three months, he says. And you're here, and it's awesome. And that really is kind of the way it is. And it made me encouraged because that's the way it was for him. And now he's a pastor of a 20,000-member church in Washington, D.C. It happens. Start small, the Lord grows it. He says, but this guy at the bus cut, turns out he's in the Navy, and he's the drummer for the, what do you know what it's called? The Marine Corps, Navy Corps, you know, the, the big band. What's it called? The Navy band. The Navy band? Works for me. <laughs> turns out he was in a special kind of Navy band that played the drums for president, for the president. And I like what he said. He says, sometimes God shows up, sometimes God shows off. And we trusted in God, and he showed off and gave us the best drummer that he could possibly give us. So tonight, I want us to pray for big, bold, audacious things. Put them in the circle and circle them in prayer. I need you to do this. We're not going to grow. I've already decided that door hangers and door knocking and banners and breakfast bars and block parties are not going to work. What's going to work, unless I'm contradicting my whole sermon, <laughs> what's going to work is prayer. And in fact, one hour spent in prayer might be better than one hour at a block party. That almost sounds heretical, doesn't it? I like block parties. But honestly, one hour in prayer, praying for people to get in this place, not just to get into this place, but to be discipled by someone in this room, praying for lost people to meet Jesus, praying, this is my vision for Missio Day, that we would plant five churches in five years. Are you kidding me? That's bold. That's audacious. If you know me, you know I don't have those gifts. I'm not administrative. I'm not a CEO of anything. I don't know. I've never been a very successful youth pastor even. How can you plant five churches? But you know what humbles me to no end? Within six months, on a random Thursday afternoon, a second church comes in our path. And now we have two locations, and they're just as excited about our vision and our mission, and we're going to, in one of these days, plant a third church in the city. That's my goal, and it is their goal. I didn't ask for that. I mean, I did. I asked for, I prayed for that. But I didn't ask for it to happen that way. I actually wanted it to happen the other direction, but I ended up this way. But it's God's plan. God is audacious. When he wants to get things done, he sends a swarm of locusts. What's that? He sends a storm of quail. God, I want some meat. You want meat? <laughs> Hurricane of quail. He, 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 he demolishes fortified cities by footsteps and shouting. He parts seas and opens them up. Here's the most audacious thing he did. He became a human being, a baby nonetheless, and he died. 
for our wickedness. That's audacious. I would never do that. Do you believe that God's audacious? Do you believe that bold prayers honor God? Then why not put them in that circle and start circling them in prayer? Because when you pray regularly, irregular things will happen on a regular basis. Amen? I like what Batterson says. He says, if you're not praying, it's because your life is boring. Let's get excited. Pray for some big, audacious things. What I would like us to do now as Dan and Chris play the last part of this song is to huddle up in your circle and actually verbally pray out loud for the vision and the mission of this church that we would reach O'Fallon and Owensville and St. Louis and even the globe. Pray for Emily as she goes to France and she's reaching a postmodern modern world. Hard, hard stuff. Let's pray big audacious things. And you've got things too. I, I, um, you've been praying for uh, Summer's Road, haven't you? Yep. yep. Charles drives and he puts the signs down every Friday night and picks them up every Sunday night. And, 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 and as he's coming down Summer's Road, I ask him if he would do this for me because I keep forgetting to. Pray for property. <laughs> I mean, that's what I want. I want property right there across from the high school, the middle school, and the elementary school. That's where we should be, right? And we're not going to get it if we don't pray for it. Maybe we will. I don't know how God works. But I think, from what I understand from what I just read in the Bible, if you pray, he'll give it. Or else someone else might be praying for it. So get on it. <laughs> Let's pray together. Let's pray together for three or four minutes. Well, as we close tonight... I want to ensure that we bring everything that was said back to Christ. That's why we're here. We're not here because we're a church plant. And we're not here because we want to pray for things. We're here because we want to worship Jesus. But I also want you to know that Jesus prayed the very same prayer that I think you've prayed tonight. And that was that his church and that his disciples would disciple. In fact, one of my favorite prayers that Jesus prays, it says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world, Jesus says. Sanctify them, make them holy in the truth. And he says, your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus prayed for us before we ever were born that we might be sanctified to go into the world. And for their sakes, I consecrate myself. Jesus says it's for their sakes that I'm going to die on the cross, that they may also sanctify it in truth. He says, I do not ask for these only, that's his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus is talking about discipleship. I'm not just asking for my 12. I'm asking for the 12 and the 12 and the 12 and the 12 and the 12 for centuries to come, that they too will be sanctified in the truth and would be sent into the world that they may be one, just as you and I, Father, are one. You're in me, and I'm in you. May they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. And Jesus says another prayer, just a few chapters before that. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will always do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. I never believed that. Because, he says, I'm going to the Father. And do you know what Jesus is doing with the Father? He's praying for us. The Bible says he's interceding on our behalf. Why? Because he wants his gospel to go forth and to multiply and to bear fruit. And he wants us to be sanctified and to do that. 
Whatever you ask in my name, he says, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And I believe that if our hearts are right, if our hearts are pure, and if we're circling a revival in our own hearts, and if we're circling a revival in some disciples in our lives, and if we're circling a revival in this church and in this city and in this country and in this globe, why would God not answer that prayer? Well, we've gathered here to worship him. He died on the cross for our sins. And he said, as often as you gather, do this to remember why I did it. Let's take communion together as we sing this last song.